action takes place in my heart. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. If anyone here understand everything that they're hearing here at The Rock? Ooh, I thought I might get an elder or two. Uh, anyone here understanding everything that they're reading in the scriptures? Well, I've got some pretty disappointed. What's weird is that I don't understand very, very much at all of what I read in the scriptures. And I understand not as much as I'd really like to here at The Rock, which is weird because I used to understand everything. It was amazing. For some reason, the, the longer I'm here, the dumber I get. and I, I'm not sure what's going on there. Yeah, if you knew me before, you'd, you'd understand just how clued up I was. Oh, I don't know. So, yeah, there have been a number of things over the last six years, my time here at The Rock, a number of things that have come up that have been preached that I haven't understood. And there were things there that it wasn't just that I didn't understand it. I was pretty sure I did understand it, but I wanted to have absolutely nothing to do with it. Sorry, Chris um, and God. So if there are things that you've read in Scripture, maybe things you've heard here that you're unsure about, that you don't understand, it is okay. And... Today and over the next few messages I'm bringing, I want to, I just want to reassure you that it's okay. What you're not picking up, what you're not receiving, we are all on our own unique spiritual journey within a greater journey of the church, moving closer to Christ, being prepared as his bride. And our little part in that is going to be different to other people. So we cannot compare ourselves to anyone else. So not understanding is fine. In fact, we're in very good company. Like the 12 apostles. Matthew 16, 5 to 11. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, Is that because we didn't bring any bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? I imagine that I make Jesus even more frustrated than that. Luke 9, 43 to 45. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them. So they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. Mm. Were they afraid that he would tell them off? To my shame, the number of things that I've struggled with, revelation that God was trying to bring to me, and I didn't ask him about it. I don't know what I was afraid of. Maybe it was that if this was true, my whole world would be shaken, that my foundations would be ripped up and unearthed. But too often, I've been confronted with revelation with truth. And I didn't take it back to him. Not understanding the teaching of Jesus is by no means uh, a new thing. Jesus has been dealing with this since he was a little boy on the steps of the temple. And his parents didn't understand what he was talking about. His parents, who had been visited by an angel told specifically that this is God's son. When Jesus, as a child, talks about being at his father's house, they're like, hmm, what? 
Anyone get visited by angels on a regular basis to fill in the gaps? Jesus is used to being misunderstood. But that doesn't mean he's happy about it. It frustrates him. God's plan, his will for us, is that we would understand. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians 2, verses 2 to 3. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all the uh, treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. The questions I want to explore uh, today and over the next few messages are why do we often, certainly for me, it's often not understand the message that Jesus is bringing? Why do I not understand the teaching of Scripture? And more importantly, how can I overcome these obstacles? How can I overcome the barriers to understanding and come into a greater revelation of, of God, of his kingdom, and his will for us? That sound like that'll be worth your time? As much as we can learn about this, I believe, in the parable of the sower, which we'll find in Matthew 13. Why don't we take a minute to turn there? got to say I really appreciated the joy on the worship this morning, really encouraged me, and it just really built expectation for, uh, for what God's going to do today. So thanks for just for listening to his heart, uh, worship team. It was awesome. Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. And while all the people stood on the shore, and he told them many things and parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not to them. That's given to the apostles. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. 
deceitfulling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So I've read that a number of times this week and meditating on it. And I reflected on the soil, which represents the condition of our hearts. And I thought, which of those is speaking about me? Which of those soil types am I closest to? What one do you think you're closest to? What Jesus beautifully illustrates for us here is that spiritual fruit does not come from hearing God's word. It doesn't come from receiving it enthusiastically. Spiritual fruit, spiritual growth, comes from hearing, receiving, believing, understanding, and persevering in the new life that it brings. A transformative understanding. I'm going to use that that phrase a number of times. Transformative understanding. An understanding that produces a transformation in us. It is a holistic understanding that transforms who we are, not just some of our behaviors. This is birthed in our spirits, in our hearts, and it flows from there to transform every part of us. Paul's mission, as he wrote in Colossians 2, 2, was to unite us in love so that we may have the full riches of complete understanding. Not being united in love is one significant obstacle that holds us back from coming into complete understanding of Christ and his kingdom, an understanding which sanctifies us, transforming us into his image. What is this love that we are called to be united in? That's one of the things I've been meditating on this week, and as I meditated on it, the verse that kept coming up was Mark twelve twenty-eight to 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The love that unites us is the love that God has for us. And the common love that we have for him and for each other. And the love that we have for him, the love that we have for each other, is a direct overflow from the love that he has showered on us. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. In fact, we cannot truly love until we have received his love. This love is expressed through every facet of our being, from our heart, the seat of our spirit, from our soul, which is where our feelings and personality sit, from our mind, our, our faculty of reasoning, into our bodies. It's not just true love that demands submission of heart, mind, soul and strength. Transformative understanding also requires that each of these faculties be submitted to God so that we can come into his revelation and be sanctified by it. There is a temptation to assume, and this is an assumption that I have been making, 
that understanding is a challenge for the mind, that it is a cerebral exercise. If I say understanding, do you would you just naturally think I'm talking about about thinking? That just to me it's one and the same. And so I apply that reasoning to understanding God's word, and I always have. It's got to make sense in my head. But the mind is only part of the process, and it's not the most important part. Spiritual truth, spiritual truth is not an intellectual exercise. It's a spiritual one. And oh, it has taken me far too long to get that. Spiritual truth is a spiritual search, not an intellectual one. Understanding, much like love, starts with the heart. But if our heart is hard, we cannot receive or truly understand, which has been the struggle for people like me throughout the ages. Mark 8.17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Acts 28, 25 to 27. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through the Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. And Ephesians 4, 18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Their ignorance had nothing to do with their mind, but everything to do with the state of their heart. In his parable of the sower, Jesus describes the harvest the farmer reaps from sowing seed into different types of soil. The soil that produced no fruit was hard and rocky. And this metaphor describes the condition of our hearts. A hard heart is unreceptive. It is difficult, if not impossible, to penetrate. A hard heart affects our other faculties, making it difficult, if not impossible, to hear or to see or to understand or to experience or to respond in faith. The heart is a mysterious faculty. It is often to it's often difficult to articulate and explain how the heart functions, how it understands, how it knows things. But the heart wants what the heart wants, so the saying goes. The heart knows what the heart knows. There's an expression that I struggled with, an expression that Greg would use uh, in staff meetings and other times. I know that I know that I know that I know. And he would say that at a point where I needed some persuasive argument. I needed some, I needed some, some scriptures quoted and I'd possibly some Greek. I needed, I needed to see this laid out logically so that I could know. But he wasn't speaking about that. And he didn't have the words to express what his spirit had received in faith. And so he knew to the core of him that something was true. But I wasn't ready to receive it in here. It's not how I operated. It's not how God's made me. You know. And so I didn't know that I know that I know that I know. I would have an, a, a position. I'd have a position, a, a, an opinion, a reasoned opinion, a studied opinion up here. And it would stay there until I found a better opinion from a better understanding, probably from some more study. Until I found something else. And I would be swayed by popular doctrine and teaching. And none of this is changing who I am. But it was changing Greg. Despite the fact 
he couldn't explain it very well to me. It was changing him, and that frustrated me. The heart is a center of faith, of belief. And this is where understanding must begin. As Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 2, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. In Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Your own understanding as Solomon raises it here, is in contrast to God's understanding. It is the fruit of your reasoning, of the thinking of an unrenewed mind. Our challenge here is to trust God from the heart, not just work out for ourselves what we think is best. Trusting in God with your heart often pits you against the critical reasoning of your mind. Your heart leads you to believe in God's promises and trust him despite it often not making sense logically. Take Abraham, for example. An old man, a wealthy man. He's got material wealth, but he has no heirs. He's got no one to leave his inheritance to, no one to carry on his name. But God gives him an amazing promise. You will be the father of multitudes, the father of nations, which makes zero sense because he is old. He is shriveled in places he needs to not be shriveled. You like that one? Sarah's wife, she is old. She does not have the capacity to bear children. But God, in their old age, makes this promise. You'll be the father of nations. And Abraham believed him. Do you think he worked that one out in, in his head? Oh, yep. Yeah, it's still possible. This is before the little blue pill. That's not possible. He didn't reason anything. It didn't, it, this, didn't, this is not a transaction in his head. This happened in his heart. He chose to believe that God is faithful and can fulfill his own word. God says that I'll be the father of nations. Well, then that's going to happen. And he put his faith in God. And then God began to fulfill that promise. And he gave him Isaac, his son, by his wife Sarah. A miracle. But then God calls him up the mountain and tells him to take his son, the son of the promise, to bind him, to put him on an altar that Isaac's just built, to take a knife and kill him. And with the death of Isaac, surely the death of the promise. And if he was to process God's word just in his head, what do you think the outcome would have been? But Abraham didn't reason it out. He didn't apply critical reasoning and logic to the situation. He didn't decide, ah, obviously God's made a mistake. Once again, from the heart, he trusted in God to be faithful and fulfill his promises, and he moved to obey in faith. And God saw his faith and gave him everything that he had promised. Belief, faith, understanding starts in the heart. How do we put our faith in a God that we haven't seen or heard in the flesh? Some have. I haven't. When I came to faith in Christ, when I was 13 years old, I didn't come running to him, crying with 
that messy sob. Oh, I mean, we're talking, there's mucus and it's, it's very messy. I didn't come running to him and cry out for him because I'd weighed up my options and he seemed like the best bet. It made no sense to me in my mind what I did that night. And had I not been drawn so powerfully from the heart as a 13-year-old young man, I would have been shamed by the way that I responded in front of my mates. But that night when I responded, I didn't respond from the mind. I didn't respond from the soul, from my personality. I responded from the strongest conviction that I had ever experienced in my life, that God was real, that he was my father, and that he loved me. And I, I didn't hear a voice. There was no theophany, no visitation. But there was the strongest pull in my heart that he was there to be found. And so I responded and I received him. I received and responded from the heart. And when I think about that, I just, I'm taken back to that special moment. That was a powerful transaction. What I don't understand is what happened next. Because I started with such a strong conviction of the heart. I believed in the core of me before I had any understanding in, in my head. And I responded from the heart. But before I knew it, it's like I decided that the heart's done its bit. Now my mind can take over. And I began to mothball my heart. And I don't know what pushed me in this direction, but I, I started to, to develop what I will call a fascination, an intrigue for biblical knowledge. As you know, now, now I think about it, yeah, this, I, I spent a few years with the, uh, the Jehovah's Witness in, in, in one of their kingdom halls, and knowledge was a big thing for them. And uh, you were awarded for being able to, to memorize scripture and to, and to preach from, from memory and to be able to recite uh, kingdom doctrines. Okay, maybe it started there. And uh, I received accolades and affirmation because of the ability to do that. But I applied that reasoning when I came into, into the true church. And it, all, it became all about what I could know, what I could recite and bringing understanding to others. And somehow I figured I only needed my mind for that. And so I put my heart on standby, mothballed it up, and what happened is it started to get hard, not calloused. Because it wasn't being used, it starts to seize up. So I'm not believing and exercising faith anymore. I'm just exercising critical reasoning. And that's the filter now. It's got to pass through what I decide makes sense. Which is tough in the kingdom, because a lot of stuff doesn't really make that much sense a lot of the time, because his ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. But we get this idea somehow that he's got to fit through our filter. Well, at least I did. My mind was being puffed up with knowledge, but it was not transforming me. It was not birthing new life in me. Just as the human body dies when our biological heart stops beating, so also our faith dies when our spiritual heart stops beating. Now, my heart wasn't dead, but it was sick. It was diseased. Arteries were clogged up. When arteries clog up, it means the blood can't get through, the life can't get through. And that is what I experienced for years. For years in leadership, in pastoral positions. But I could, I could make it look like I was, I was growing. I wasn't doing that intentionally. I just had the wrong idea of what growing really was. I was growing in knowledge 
but not growing in the likeness of Christ. The heart in our chest pumps life-giving blood around our entire body. Our spiritual heart pumps faith in God's revelation around our entire being. And that's why we need to receive it in the heart first. I've come to see that it is pride that hardens a heart. As a young man, I, I came to God in weakness. Uh, I came to him in a broken spirit. And I couldn't maintain that. Who wants to be weak? As a young man, I didn't want to be weak. I didn't want to show weakness. And so I tried to get my, strong myself. Strong in my own strength. It's pride that hardens a heart. Our hearts become calloused and hard when we refuse to change, when we refuse to submit to God and his will. Humility is the antithesis of pride. Humility and faith, these are what prepare our hearts to receive the revelation that God has for us. True submission requires true humility. If I'm not humble, I can't submit to God. And I definitely can't submit to anyone else that he raises up in authority. Anyone he raises up to minister to me. But when I'm humble, I can recognize that I don't know everything. God's starting to clue me up on that one. When I'm humble, I can recognize that some of what I know might be wrong. When I submit to others, I can be taught the truth of God's word, and he can work through them. When I'm humble, I can recognize that I am not hearing everything that God has to say to me. I don't always have ears to hear. When I'm humble and I submit to others, I can see that others do have ears to hear, and that they can relay that to me. When I submit to others, I can receive more of God's prophetic word. When I'm humble, I can recognize my brokenness and frailty. And when I submit to others and to God, I can be comforted. When I'm humble, I can recognize my sickness and infirmity. And when I submit to God and to his people, I can be healed. And when I am humble, I can recognize the authority that God places on others. This one has always been hard for me. When I submit to others, I can be led into God's destiny for me. Ask yourself a question. Do you want to miss out on anything that God has for you? Anything that he wants to do in your life? I'm sure you probably don't. And I put that question to myself, and yeah, no, of course I don't. Of course I don't. I reason it out, and that doesn't make sense. Of course I want everything that he has in store for me. But it's not actually my mind that drives me. Until that is in my heart, I'm prepared to let go. That's not actually going to be expressed in my life at all. When we are humble, we can see Christ in each other. And when we submit to each other, we are submitting ourselves to Christ in each other. We are placing ourselves under the authority that he has built up around us. We are positioning ourselves to receive from his word and the spiritual gifts that he's given his church. At the end of the day, it is all about him. So if we can't submit to each other, then how can we be submitted to him? This is something that starts in the heart. My heart is prepared to understand when it is humble. Humble to trust God. Humble to follow his plan even when it doesn't make sense in my head. Humble to submit to God and the authority he has established. Humble to change. Humble to let go 
of the past. Humble to recognize that I need God and I need the people that he has filled with his spirit and his gifts. Humble to recognize that I don't know everything and I have so much to learn and unlearn. Now don't think for a minute that this is an anti-intellectual message. If you think I'm anti-intellectual, you have no idea who I am. It is my struggle, not because I'm a genius, but just because I've always put my mind first. And I believe there's something of God in there for me to come into an understanding that's part of the way he works through me and my gift. This is not an anti-intellectual message. God gives us our intellect. And he calls us to love him with our mind. This is not about switching the mind off. This is about submitting the mind under the heart. There is an order to things. And it's heart first. The heart is the filter through which everything passes to our mind. That is the point here. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we move into a dumb feelings-based faith. This certainly has nothing to do with the whims of feelings. Feelings come from our soul. It's something completely different. Our intellect is God-given, and it's important. Feelings, we can affect mood and feelings by, seriously, by changing the lights and the chords we play. Did you know that? That your, that your soul responds to music and that we can, like my spirit was up, uplifted by the, um, the guys changing the way they played some songs. They played it quicker, uh, major chords, I was lifted up, oh, it was good. Put a reggae beat on it, oh yeah. Still not sure about that, but um, but it was cool. But you know, if, if you want to take it down, make people more contemplative, start deeply reflecting on, oh my goodness, what does this mean for me? We'll slow it down. We'll drop some minors. We'll get the keyboard to play a thick pad, maybe a haunting melody from the strings. And while that's going on, then we'll get the preacher to come up and start speaking powerfully, powerfully over that, and you'll be convicted, and you'll be, oh. But we're manipulating feelings. Now, you could say cynically that, oh, well, that doesn't sound very good. Another approach is that we might want to use all the gifts God's given us to help position people to receive, to try to take some things out of, out of play. But this is not what I'm talking about here. What I'm, I'm saying is that feelings can be manipulated, and we can't make decisions, faith or otherwise, based on feelings, which they come and go and they flow with whatever wind. The intellect's not the same as that. God has given us an intellect, and he wants us to use it, but he wants us to exercise it with faith from what has been deposited in our hearts. Are you following me? Am I saying that I want you to be stupid? No. Am I saying that I want you to switch your mind off? No, I'm not. But we need our mind to be renewed. And too much of my thinking was from an unrenewed mind. We're going to talk about that, I think, uh, later this month. There are, I do consider myself to be an intelligent person, but I've... There are so many things that I've been blind to see in God's word, despite reading them many times, studying them. Why is it that I could not see and understand what was right before my eyes? It's plain for me to see now that my heart was hard. I was not conditioned to receive. The mind thinks, but it's the heart that believes. And you can hold the understanding of any number of doctrines in your mind, but if they have not been sown, believed, and established in your heart, those doctrines will not transform you. They will not have any power. Power is an interesting one. Azusa Street in Los Angeles at the beginning of the 20th century 
was the center for an explosion of miraculous signs and wonders that had not been seen since biblical times. Crazy stuff. People being healed of blindness, limbs regrowing. These miracles were performed in a place which was not a center of theological teaching. This is not based around a Bible college. I think they were in a warehouse. And it was messy. And pretty much they just prayed. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And the power of God came and exploded among them. This was one of the birthplaces of the Pentecostal revival. But it wasn't a theological revival. So much at reviving what was clear in Scripture that God is powerful and he moves through his people and he has the power to heal. Today, there are villages and towns all over the developing world, all over the third world, Africa, South America, Asia, places that are poor, poor in education, but rich in faith. And in these places, today, the dead are being raised. Now, that's not happening here. And so I don't even know if I want to believe that because I haven't seen that with my own eyes. But the number of testimonies that are coming out of these places of the dead being raised regularly, like it's a thing now. But they are poor in education. Their ministers, for the most part, don't have any theological degrees. Seems like they're making it up as they go along. They've got the Bible and they've got faith. But they have faith. Faith to believe that God will fulfill his promises. Faith to believe God is powerful and can do whatever he wants. Faith to believe that he'll heal. Faith to believe that he will raise the dead. And they take that faith and they call the dead up. And it happens. My goodness. And scores come to new faith around that environment. Now, in my head, that makes no sense whatsoever. And that isn't happening here. I don't mean the rock. I mean, I'm hearing these testimonies around New Zealand. Why? We reason ourselves out of that. If someone's sick, Panadol. Oh, but more than that? Panadol and ibuprofen. Okay, right. Is the after hours? You'll go to after hours. Yep. We'll get a doctor to have a look. We think in the natural. What are the steps we take when someone is ill? The Bible says, call the elders, lay on hands and pray. Ah, ah, that's not how we roll. In New Zealand, we look at what medicines we have in the home. And we, pro, uh, we look through the symptoms and we try to apply a medication to those symptoms. And when it's beyond us, uh, we'll, well, we'll look on the net. We'll go to some, um, some Google, um, Google doctor and we'll, okay, we'll work out the next step. And then we'll go to the doctor. We don't approach this thing spiritually. And if someone dies, well, then we have a funeral and we grieve. And we trust that God is good despite the fact that the person dies. was Well, that makes sense in your head. Every, everyone will die eventually, and we let it go. What I'm saying is there are places in the world where people don't let it go, and they trust that God can raise the dead, and so their response is, let's raise the dead in his power. Because they're not thinking with their heads. They're letting their heart lead them. The Spirit of God in their heart leads them and the power that is displayed in that faith is freaky. Somehow, my children get this more than I do. Their response when dad has a headache, and they know when dad has a headache, their response is to pray. Let's pray, daddy. And they say that while I'm rummaging around in the glove compartment for Panadol. Let's pray. That's their response. 
how am I going to stop infecting them with my unbelief? Or how can I let their faith infect me? To have the faith of a child and believe that God can do it. How do you soften hard soil? Yeah, you soak it in water. Not just giving it a spray. You spray hard soil, it'll evaporate, it'll be gone. Make no difference. But you soak it in water, continually pouring water over it, letting it sit on there, letting it soak in, pour on more water, let that soak in, pour on more water. The hard, packed earth will begin to soften. In the same way, a hard heart is softened by a continual soaking in the Holy Spirit. Not a spray, not an encounter, not an overflow service, starting here tonight at the Rock at 6pm. A continual soaking, seeking him his presence every day. And not just in an encounter each day. This is something that I'm personally working on in my own formation at the moment. Developing an awareness and an experience of his presence wherever I am. And trying to move in that. Paul talks about praying continuously. That's not... I'm not, not, not praying, you know, putting words out there the whole time, but I am communing with him in presence. Listening to him. Responding back to him while I'm going about my business. And I can do that when I'm driving. I can do that when I'm operating heavy machinery. It's okay. Don't don't you close your eyes. Soaking in his presence. Soaking in his voice. Allowing his power to permeate every crack, every crevice, and our hard hearts to soften us from within. Hard soil must be dug up and turned over. A hard heart also. It must be opened up and exposed to the light, exposed to the air. It must be surrendered and repented of. A hard heart. Break it up. Let God's sanctifying light shine on it. And that is what I would like to invite you to do this morning. If anything that that God has said through me today is resounding in your heart where it really counts, I wonder if you would respond to that today. To surrender your heart anew to the Lord, which I have found that I need to, because I can't sit on that original response when I was a 13-year-old, because I've taken steps back since then. I need to renew my heart, my connection to him, my commitment to repent of any heart condition that is opposed to him and his word and allow his spirit to soften our hearts to receive everything that he has for you. Are you in a position to do that, to offer your heart to him and you and allow him to bring a work of softening as his spirit ministers to you? As David prayed in Psalm 139, from verse 23, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That is the prayer I'm talking about. If you don't know the condition of your heart, if you don't know whether it is hard, he does. And so our prayer is to ask him to examine our hearts and reveal to us the condition. To reveal anything that is offensive, anything that is hardened, and then surrender to him that he can soften us. Soft isn't weak. 
soft means he can shape us. And I don't know about you, but that's what I really want. Shall we pray? Oh, no, not like that. No. Sorry, you have to hold hands. This is not just a transaction between you and God. though that's where it starts. This is something that we do together. And in the laying on of hands, our faith is joined. So we're going to pray for each other. Sorry if this is crossing any comfort zones, any personal space boundaries. God, give them grace for it. You're praying for yourself and also we're praying for each other. Father God, search us, Lord. Search our hearts and know them. Test us and see if there is any anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us. And lead us out of that, Lord, and lead us to your way, the way that is everlasting. Lord, I pray that you would soften us from within, Lord. I pray, Lord, for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit, that we would allow your Spirit to do this work in us, to soften a hard heart, to dig out any, any rocks, Lord, of arguments which are opposed to you, any mindsets which are not within your will. I pray for a humility that we will have as we lay everything down at your feet, trusting, Lord, that you will lift us up. Lord, we commit our way to you and pray a blessing on our brothers and sisters around us that you would do the same in them. In Jesus' name, amen.